Blow the Heisman Trophies here in Heritage Hall Studio One. Welcome to the Season of Sam podcast. I'm your host, Yogi Roth. Really excited to welcome you to this process. It's going to be an absolute blast. As Sam Darnold and I talk every single week about his process, his teammates, and the art of the quarterback position. You'll also get to listen to Sam interview people that he's interested in. And today's guest is really unique. He was a top 10 draft pick when he left college early from Fresno State. He won a Super Bowl in the National Football League. He's broadcasted for over a decade. And he's also the head coach of the Elite 11 quarterback competition. His name is Trent Dilfer. And the Elite 11 is where Sam and Trent first met. You're really going to enjoy the conversation as you get to experience Sam's curiosities around the quarterback position. Episode one. Yes, Here sir. it is, Sam. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Looking forward to it. All right, so what happened when, you know, the preview dropped for you? What was that like? You know, I think people are going to be excited, and people are excited for it. Um, and I think the episodes are going to be awesome. You know, the guests that we have on are going to be uh, very knowledgeable about different things. And I think um, being able to pick apart, you know, what they do, what they do best, and be able to kind of relate that to what I do, it's going to be really fun. Yeah, it was neat. I was talking to uh, a couple of our potential guests mm-hmm. uh, prior to coming here with you, and they were saying the same thing. Like, man, this is going to be great for his life. Just the practice of communicating and right. asking people questions versus being the quarterback. Majority of the time, you're a basketball player like you were in high school. You're being asked all the questions. Right. Even in preparation for this, what was it like for you? Because I don't know how many times you've prepared to interview other people. <laughs> yeah. No, so preparing to interview Trent, um, it was awesome. You know, I know, I know Trent uh, personally. You know, with Elite Eleven and going back there this year as a counselor. Um, no, it's always it's always amazing just to, you know, be interviewed by people and all that kind of stuff. But you know, to flip the script a little bit and, you know, kind of take it um, head on. You know, with me asking him questions or, um, you know, just being able to be curious. I think that's that's always something that I've always been really good at. You know. I'm, I think I'm a better listener than I am a talker or than I am in explaining things. So um, just being able to listen, ask questions, uh, I think that's going to be really fun for me. And I think I'm going to be able to, you know, pick some things that I want to talk about with him and definitely gain some knowledge here today. You know, I was kind of just gearing up for college football season and somebody said, what's the one trait of a quarterback that matters? And every year it's kind of altered for me as you dive deeper in the position. And Mm -hmm. where I've netted out is that I think the elite ones are seekers, Yeah. right? They're great listeners and they're seeking more and more and more knowledge. When did you recognize, because you said you've always been curious. I would say that's the same thing as as seeking. Um, When did you realize you were that type of young man? Uh, I mean, at an early age, you know, I was always a shy kid. Uh, but, you know, and I think my parents would say the same thing. But, you know, as I've kind of gr- grown into being a quarterback and being more of a leader, taking on that, taking on that role, uh, you know, I definitely have to be more vocal. But I'm trying not to, you know, let go of my roots by any means. You know, I want to be able to listen and uh, be able to take other people's knowledge or experience and be able to um, kind of use it as my own or take advice from people. So, um and, you know, what you're doing there is hard. You know, it's not – I don't think there's any one trait that makes a quarterback special. I think you got to have a lot of things. Um, and, you know, being able to um, – and I think that's what makes the quarterback position the best, you know, uh, position in the world for any sport. And, you know, it's so unique. Um, players have different, you know, styles. And it's not just – you know, there's not one way how to play quarterback. You know, there's different ways. So, um, you know, I think – but definitely, uh, some of those traits you mentioned are important. But I'm definitely looking forward to you know gaining knowledge from everyone. 
my freshman year. It was, you know, I was um, definitely kind of had that deer in the headlights uh, feeling, you know, walking around campus, especially today with today being the first day of school. Uh, you know, a lot. I just saw a couple of them in the players' lounge, and they were just asking questions and kind of running around a little bit. And I was just, you know, on the couch chilling with Cam. <laughs> so, uh, so it was pretty funny to see how, you know, uh, everything's kind of flipped in a matter of two years. So, um, but I, I told them not to worry. You know, they'll get it, and they'll be in the same position I am in a couple years. So, um, it's fun to, you know, kind of see how everything changes with time. Uh, I think that's really interesting, but um, yeah, as a freshman, I was kind of a deer in the headlights guy, but I got it pretty quick. You know, after a couple of weeks, it was it was pretty easy to get you know my schedule, and I just you know I did what I had to to succeed, and I don't think it's anything more than that. I want to rewind the clock back to your recruiting. You uh-huh. know, uh-huh. I can remember the day where Trent and I were sitting next to each other, and we saw you at eleven, and we'll ask him about it. But for you. What was it like because you weren't that big-time guy, but you were fighting your way to try to get recognized as one of the top quarterbacks in the country? Yeah, um, that's actually uh, a great point. You know, when I was being recruited, I lacked confidence um, because I saw all these other guys, you know, getting recruited, um, you know, five stars, getting all these offers, you know, 30-plus offers. And um, I think just um, continuing to have, you know, the great group of friends that I had in high school, um, you know, having the great community around me, um, great coaches, you know, my family obviously was awesome during the whole process, but um, I think it's just having a good group of people around you and people that you can go to and talk, you know, if you're a football player, be able to talk to them about life and not just football, and I think that's really important. Um, You know, obviously football and sports in general has been a huge part of my life, but, you know, I've enjoyed just as much, you know, going to the beach and just hanging out with my friends and um, being able to have a great dinner at home, you know, with my family. Um, so I think enjoying those little things um, will be able to um, give you that confidence to be able to um, just go out there and know that whatever you do, you know, on the field, in the classroom, anything, uh, or in your job, that you're going to be able to go home at night and sleep well, knowing that you have a great group of people around you. Totally. It's, uh, it's appreciating the simple joys. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, you had an interesting summer. You know, top quarterbacks do. You're not always working out with your team. You do that for the majority of it. But you also got to experience camps as a counselor. Mm-hmm. Give us a look of why you chose to become even a counselor at the Elite 11 and what your summer was like overall and, and where you kind of went to take your craft to a place that hadn't been yet. Right. Uh, you know, first of all, you know, going back to first when I was a counselor at the Manning camp, um, just being able to spend time with those guys. Uh, that was an amazing experience, um, and I, I talk about it a lot, but I think the the most important thing I gained from that was not the X's and O's, because, you know, you can talk about them, talk with them all day about that kind of stuff, but I think it was more about um, the way they act off the field and the, the, the respect that they that they show to everyone. I think that was the most important thing that I got out of that. Did um, you just observe that? Were you just yeah. watching Peyton and Eli? Yeah, no, I was just, I was watching it and um, just watching them, you know, treat everyone with respect, um, no matter who they were, um, you know, because they have all the right in the world to, you know, say, oh, no, I can't, I can't take a picture with you. I got to run and do this because they were running around everywhere. Um, super busy that week. But, um, and then, you know, in Oregon, at Elite 11, being a counselor, it was, you know, it was kind of funny the whole time because um, I was with, you know, 
I was with Mason Rudolph, um, Devontae Kincaid, and Tanner Mangum, you know, and we were talking about, you know, the recruiting process. And, uh, you know, it was funny the look, the um, all the faces of the kids, you know, in high school and how nervous they were for the Elite 11. It was like, man, you guys got to realize this is just a camp. Um, <laughs> you know, it's it, and I was the same way. And um, it was just, it was funny and it was, it was awesome to be able to talk to the college guys and um, be able to kind of, you know, joke about the look on everyone's face and just realize how nervous they actually were for, you know, a little camp up in Oregon. But, um, <laughs> no, it's it's pretty funny, but I think it's it's really interesting. And I thought, you know, we had some really good conversations about recruiting and um, how, you know, guys can get caught up and definitely with, you know, how much, how many offers they have. Um, but in the end, you know, you're just going to one school and you got to be your best at that school. So, um, you know, my advice to anyone, if you're going through recruiting right now is to just, um, really focus on what school fits you best and not worry about how many, you know, offers you have. Cause, um, in the end, you're just going to pick one school and, um, that's pretty much all you can do. Yeah. It's such a great point of just finding a place that has the right fit. I'm really excited to to bring on our guest, Trent Dilfer, because for him, it was not only about the fit, but he also had this really unique journey when he was in college mm. from some decisions that he'll describe as a freshman to then making the jump to all of a sudden, okay, this is the type of man that I want to be and became a top 10 draft pick right. and away his career goes. So, Sam, I think it's time that we bring in the first guest in the Season of Sam podcast in your master class and see the type of questions you have for Trent. Yeah, it'll be fun. You know, I'm really excited. All right. All right, it's guest one in episode one, Trent Dilfer and the Season of Sam podcast. TD, what's happening, man? I'm nervous. See, episode <laughs> one, guest one. Big stuff. Hey, man, you got to go big, right? If we're going to do it, we're going to do it for real. And joined by Sam Darnold, obviously. And Sam, I know you're fired up about this. Uh, when was the last time you asked people questions in an interview setting? <laughs> uh, never, probably. Uh, <laughs> Only when I can do it, you know, for fun with my teammates. Uh, but, you know, other than that, never really. I'm excited. Uh, Trent, you better be ready to answer some tough questions. <laughs> no, I will be. I, I've never really <laughs> answered tough questions, so this will be no. <laughs> Trent, I can remember like yesterday. We're up in Oakland in Northern California, and we hear about this quarterback. We had a high school coach, Jaime Ortiz, call from San Clemente and say, hey, and we say, does, does he kind of look like like Andrew Luck? Like this guy can move, he can throw, he can run. He, who is that guy? Um, I'm curious what your recollection of of that moment was, and when you first saw Sam and got to know him, what went through your mind? Well, I remember it was a loaded regional, and I, I remember my excitement around the regional really revolved around Sam because uh, what people forget was he was somewhat well, he was very under recruited. Um, I'm speaking as if you're not there, Sam. <laughs> Sam was under-recruited, and is because he got hurt his junior year, which is the year you get really yeah. all your tape for recruiting. He hurt his ankle, and, and Joey Roberts, our director of operations, and somebody everybody kind of in this space knows really well, had sent me Sam's basketball YouTube tape that week. And I had seen the three games before I hurt his ankle. And like what I saw, I saw a sophomore year, Sam, you played linebacker and wide receiver yep. <laughs> and see the athleticism. Uh, but the basketball tape is what kind of got me juiced. Um, you know, a big man that had great movement skills, 
uh, very physical, you know, wasn't afraid of the physicality of the basketball game, pretty much dominated um, both ends of the floor. Uh, and really, I took a liking because that was kind of my story. You know, I was under-recruited. Uh, I went to Cal football camp before my senior year, and they moved me to wide receiver. Uh, I was had more offers as a basketball player than a football player, and I know those are transferable skills. So I really just – all I needed to see from Sam was a few throws, how naturally he was as a thrower, and, and I had it in my mind that he was a lock just because of what I had seen in the basketball tape. Yeah, well, I appreciate everything. Uh, appreciate the kind words, Trent. It means a lot. I just want to know how hard it was for you to move on from basketball. Um, Cause I know for me, it was super hard. Um, you know, I played, I played a lot in the, in the rec center here at USC um, a lot, you know, my true freshman year when I wasn't, when I was red shirting, but you know, now with, you know, all the, all the, you know, time I got to put into, you know, prepare for games and uh, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, obviously I don't want to get hurt playing basketball cause that would be a nightmare for, for me and my coaches, but um, I think I just want to I just want to know kind of what how it was for you moving on from basketball and really noticing kind of the end of that. It was hard. Uh, it sounds like we have very similar stories. It was my favorite sport growing up. I mean, my favorite player growing up was Wayman Tisdale, the late Wayman Tisdale. I can remember <laughs> yeah, him. sitting yeah. in my sitting in my front yard playing one on one with Wayman Tisdale, and I was really one on zero, so I got the best of them. <laughs> um, you know, pretending he pretending he was sticking his knee in my back as I was trying to back him down on the block, and you know, learning mm-hmm. new post moves, and then fadeaway jumpers because he was six nine and I was six four. I mean, basketball was everything to me. I, I credit a lot of my success in sports to those that lonely workout on the blacktop with with the hoop. Um, parents yeah. used to make me shoot a thousand free throws before I came in for dinner, I, probably because they didn't want my stinky body in the house and my <laughs> sisters. Um, yeah. But, you know, sitting out there on that free throw line and, and counting the free throws and you're in your forearm cramping because you're sitting there so much. And, and yeah. I had the same thing. When I went to college, I ran with the Fresno State team. They let me run with them in practices. And then I played intramurals and, you know, would pick up games at, um, uh, in the off season down at the rec center and the, the different mm-hmm. gyms that played. And I would say it was probably more important to me than, than football was. But what I, I look back and learn was so many of those skills both fit, both athletically but competitively um, transferred to competitive environment in football when you're trying to win a job, when it is a mono-a-mono thing, when you do have to dig deep because you're tired. Um, you know, integrating with that. The great thing about pickup basketball is all of a sudden they throw you in with three, four other dudes, and you're running with them. You may have never met them, but you have to integrate with them right away, and there's a lot of stuff that is that way when you go to college. And, and yeah, you knew your class, but you didn't know all those – sophomores and juniors and seniors you have to learn their respect and you have to navigate your relationships and so much of growing up playing basketball in gyms and pickup games and playing with people 10 years older than me uh, playing people better than me all that stuff helped me integrate into the football um, system when I went to Fresno and then ultimately the NFL yeah that's super interesting Um, you know my freshman year when I was you know I was playing scout team and um obviously had a you know my the group of freshman football players that I would go and play basketball with at the rec um and it was interesting because we almost we thought of going to football practice as it was a job um and then you know it was we get to play basketball um so I think that that was one of the more 
interesting times in my life. You know, I'm not, really. you know, again, I'm not your coach and I never give you advice outside of what your coaches give, but even when we're in the NFL, um, those years in Tampa, we had great pickup games. Warwick Dunn, Derek Brooks, Warren Sapp, John Lynch, uh, Jacquez Green, Riddell Anthony. Um, we went and we would play twice a week and, uh, you know, we were safe. We protected one another, but uh, it was still a great competitive outlet and something to stay in shape. And yeah. I had to stop playing. I actually joined a rec league when I was in Seattle, um, but I had torn my Achilles tendon. That was the first I tore. I ended up tearing both in, call, in the pros, but I had tore my right one, and it really affected me. And I couldn't play basketball anymore because it started hurting my knee. But to get back, back to your earlier question, giving up basketball is one of the hardest things I've ever had to do athletically because yeah. it was so much part of my DNA. Who was, I'm just curious, uh, how was Warren Sapp on the basketball court? <laughs> a monster. You know, people, <laughs> I, have two Warren, I have two Warren Sapp stories. Obviously, he's in the Hall of Fame for a reason, but two of the most impressive things I saw Warren do um, outside of just, you know, destroying centers and guards and tackles in the NFL was, um, he was probably, I Warren would probably tell you six one, but legitimately 5'11 and a half, six feet tall. And he could stand flat-footed under the basketball hoop at 320 pounds and rip dunks. Um, but more impressive than that is Jacquez Green was the fastest man in college football when we drafted him out of the University of Florida. And I watched Warren Sapp beat Jacquez Green in a 10-yard sprint, a get-off, in practice no one day. But he, yep. he couldn't so, go 40 well, yards with him, though. No, gosh, no, at 12, no. Josh was three <laughs> yards ahead. But at 10, Warren had beaten him, and, and that just gives you some insight to what an incredible athlete Warren was and a great competitor. On the basketball court, he was great. We did protect each other, but if you ever – and I had to guard him all the time, and I did cover him on the block, and, and it was brutal because he would just throw <laughs> me around like a rag doll, but I didn't want to yeah. back down, so I'm trying to compete. And he, he dunked on me so many times, backed me up, threw me, in the, threw me down – below the block and turn around and yak one on me. But uh, it was, those were fun yeah. times and, and an incredible competitor. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, back to Elite 11 and your time there, I want to ask you kind of what, I guess, from your experience with that, what's maybe the common denominator for the kids you coach at Elite 11 and who end up having college, college success and then maybe even taking it a step further, NFL success? You know, that's something I wrestle. I mean, we have all the metrics. So there's some physical characteristics. There's some stature characteristics. Um, Some of it's where they go, how they're coached in college, which is outside of the kids' control and and our control as a staff. But I think the number one uh, commonality between the guys that make it both in college and, and then make it to the NFL is their competitive temperament. I think Yogi in his documentary last year probably explained it the best, calling it the it factory, um, that undescribable quality that we're, we try to uh, find terms for it, but really it's just they have it. It's a supreme confidence. It's a resilience. It's a grit. Um, it's a, a, the ability to process information quickly, the ability to learn, be coachable, be trainable, uh, be able to change things you're doing being comfortable, being uncomfortable, um, all these things, I, I think nobody's done it better than Yogi just calling it the it factory. It's this, it's, this, mm. it's this it quality that we can see it, we can smell it, uh, we know it's there, you had it, other Jameis has had it, Jared had it, so many guys have had it, and we really never doubted 
whether you guys would make it. Um, it was just a matter of how successful you would be in college. Everybody goes to different situations. Everybody has different opportunities. People have different coaches, different, different skill players around them, get different breaks. Um, but you know the guy is going to make it because he has that, that it, that stuff, that presence. Uh, we need to find another – Yogi and I need to put our heads together and find even a better word for it. But uh, it's very obvious when we see it, uh, we know it, and, and we knew it, the, the, you know, as soon as we were around you. And, and remember, you weren't uh, – people need to understand, you weren't that polished. You weren't going and playing all these seven-on-seven tournaments. You're too busy playing basketball. You're too busy hand- – which I fully supported, if you remember. Like, I don't think you need to overtrain. I don't think you have to – be peaked out by the time you're 17. I mean, you want to go to college and still be moldable for your college coaches to get their hands on you and, and teach it to you their way and not have all these other ideas in your head. So uh, you're, I, I point to you often when the conversation comes up of dual sport athletes, not overtraining in high school, not having to go to every single camp and seven-on-seven tournament, I think a lot of that's overdone because I think so much of your growth as I followed you from afar was when you got to SC and you had great coaches and you started getting new information. New information, you were this piece of clay. You had a nice foundation that hopefully we assisted in, but really now you're this great piece of clay that your coaches say, okay, he's going to do it the way we teach him how because he hasn't been polluted by a lot of other thoughts. Sam and I earlier were talking about the idea of confidence, right? And we've talked about a lot of where confidence comes from and self-talk, but also at the Elite 11, when you see high school quarterbacks, all these other alpha males, and they lack confidence. Sam even admitted that, you know, he lacked confidence at times. Curious in your process as a player in college to the NFL, how do you view that word as quarterbacks, like specifically Sam, go through the stages of acceleration in their careers? Well, you know, you know, me and you have talked a lot about this, and Sam's been part of these conversations. So obviously the science of confidence is what you say to yourself, right, your self-talk. But I, I think even one layer beyond that as a quarterback, what I've learned and what I experienced when I've talked to other, you know, players that were far better than me and now what we teach is you have to have gone through hard things um, and got out of, you know, come out of them better and stronger to have true confidence. Like some people say confidence comes from pre previous, previous six successions or su- succeeding um, previously. And I, I think that's kind of false. If it was easy, if you succeeded because the table was set for you. Now, if you succeeded because you got through some hard stuff, uh, you battled through some things, uh, you fought and clawed and, and dug your fingernails into the hilltop and never, never let go. Now you should have confidence because now you can tell yourself there's nothing that can come up that I can't get through. Um, and I think guys that have dealt with rejection, guys that have gone into, you know, we're talking high school quarterbacks now, guys that have gone into big environments and been a little overwhelmed, but then they go, wait a second, I do belong. Um, that's hard stuff. That's, in- that's intimidating. Um, and yeah. they come out the other end saying, well, if I could get through that, well, then how, how hard can my freshman year be? Oh, wow, that was hard. Scout team was hard. And being around these men that are seniors uh, and getting my chops busted in the locker room, that's hard. But you know what? I got through it, and I'm better because of it. So now being a, a redshirt freshman starter, yeah, that seems hard, but I've gone through other hard things. And because I've been through those hard things, now I can tell myself I got this. You know, this, this is right up my alley. This is in my lane. You know, now that self-talk starts because you've experienced getting through really tough 
sticky, uncomfortable things. That's why we say you got to find a way to be comfortable being uncomfortable because mm-hmm. so many people tap out at the uncomfortable mark. So many people, and I was one of them at times, it starts to get a little weird. It starts to get a little freaky, and you're like, uh-uh, I don't want any of this. I'm out. And those of, those of us and you, Sam, that say, you know what? Yeah, this is weird. I don't feel right here. This is not quite right, but I'm going to, you know, just go right through it, take it on. Now you have massive confidence on the other end. It allows mm-hmm. you to talk well to yourself over the next challenges. Right. You know, I definitely think uh, adversity is definitely one of those things that you have to go through um, at some point in your career if you want to be great. And, um I mean, obviously, I'm not there yet, but, um, you know, I've dealt with my fair share. Um, but, you know, I definitely just if you if you could give, you know, the people listening a little, um, ex, you know, your experience with getting booed out of that restaurant. Um, oh, I you just, like that story, huh? Yeah, yeah I, want, <laughs> I actually do. I, I want them to kind of get a taste of what that was like, you know, at your peak. So I was playing in Tampa, uh, and I had probably the worst start to an NFL career of any. I mean, I'm right there with Ryan Leaf as, like, worst starts you could have as, in, as a first-round draft pick NFL starter. And I can't remember exactly what week it was. I want to say it was the last week of my second season. And we had played at home, and I would thrown, I think, four interceptions, just played brutal again. And um, just was not just playing bad, but just felt terrible. Just didn't like football. nothing was going right. And my wife and I left the stadium and we drove to an outback and we're just going to grab a quick bite to eat before we went back home. And we put our name in at the hostess stand and, and the lady had said our name and the entire restaurant, the entire restaurant stood up and started booing me Uh, with my wife. We'd been married, what, three years now. Uh, And in fact, I, I have never told, I think she was pregnant with our oldest daughter at the time. And they're booing me in the restaurant, staring at me, booing me. And uh, I just looked at my wife and said, we're sitting down. We're taking this. And we went right in the middle of that restaurant, and we sat down, and we ate our dinner. Uh, and I'll never forget that. It, to me, it became a badge of honor. I said, you know, I, I made a, a statement to myself at that moment. I said, I will get through this. I will prove these people wrong. They're, they're probably justified in booing me, to be quite honest. But I'm not going to let this define me. I'm going to get through this. And and two years later, this, I'm getting voted to a Pro Bowl the same week. So um, if, if you have the resilience, if you have that grit to get through it, that resolve to just say, you know what, nothing's going to break me, um, then this, the sky's the limit to how good you can be. You know, I think success is harder to come back from sometimes than failure. If, you know, you're getting booed out of the restaurant, that's tough to come back from. But um, I think it's, you know, even harder when, you know, you're Tom Brady and you win that first Super Bowl. Now everyone expects the, you know, the second one to follow. And then after you win that one, everyone expects you to win a third. So, so just give me your opinion on that. Well, I think you're really wise to recognize that at a young age. I, I got a few little stories for you. One, an admittance, I think that the biggest reason I didn't reach my potential as a football player, and I, I'm very – very open and honest about that. I feel like I left a lot out there on the table. I should have been a lot better than I was, uh, was because I got complacent. I think I got complacent because I had some successes, whether I didn't have wild successes early on, but I went through a stretch between Pro Bowls and playoffs and a Super Bowl where I was having successes. And instead of using those successes to motivate me to work harder, 
and to continue to pursue my potential. There were times where I got lazy and complacent. And in retrospect, I look back and probably what cost me my career. Uh, I think by nature, all of us as humans, when we go through hard times, we do have that instinct to fight. Um, That fighting instinct is in all of us. And if you can tap into it, we can get through adversity. Now, we also have that instinct to become complacent when things go well. And I think I see more failure because of complacency than I do because of adversity in all walks of life. I mean, I, you know, my life now is far beyond a player and a coach. It's, you know, parenting and mentoring. And, and I, the, the biggest danger I see, and I talk to my daughters all about it all the time, and they're very successful athletes themselves. You know, whenever you have success, whenever you get recognized, it should almost be a motivation to work harder and not accept it. And, and almost it's not a false humility. It's a, well, I have to prove it now. Because I've been, I've had perfume poured on me and because I've been recognized for my successes, now I should work just that much harder to actually prove that I was worthy of that recognition. And, and if you get that at a young age, you'll be a Peyton Manning. And my favorite story I tell my daughters, because uh, they weren't old enough to see it, I'll never forget Peyton Manning got that first $100 million quarterback contract. And I happened to be sitting there at ESPN. I want to say it was my first year working there. And I was watching the press conference, and the very first question that was asked of him was, Peyton, holy smokes, you just got $100 million. What are you going to do with it? And with a cold stare, he looked into the camera like the question was idiotic, and he said, I'm going to earn it. Mm. And I, I, written, I wrote that down on my mirror, I'm going to earn it, and put it in, in quotations around it. And I give it to my daughters, and I, everybody I'm around, I tell them, you have to go earn it. And I think if you, if you have that mentality when you're going through success, you won't fall victim to complacency like I did. Yeah, you know, I think, I think that's a great attitude to have. And I think, you know, I'm trying to emulate that. And I also think Coach Helton uh, with our football team does a great job of that. Um, you know, just kind of bring us in. Um, you know, obviously we had the break after the Rose Bowl, but, you know, our first team meeting, it was like, guys, like, we haven't proved anything yet. This is a brand new team, brand new faces. Um, we got a whole new group of 25 freshmen coming in here, and it's going to be a journey. And, you know, we're not just going to be given anything. And I think it's very important to realize that as an athlete, but also, you know, um, as a whole team. Um, and I think um, I just I kind of wanted to get your advice actually on that. Um, you know, Coach Helton does a great job of, you know, letting us know, how to take failure and how to just be able to move on and, you know, take it one day at a time. He does a great job of that. But how do I maybe if I can, you know, because Coach Helton can't see everything. If I, if I see one of my teammates maybe um, not having the right attitude or, you know, he's all right just showing one minute, you know, he's just all right showing up one minute before a workout, you know, um, not really stretching before or, you know, showing up late to meetings, you know, what, what should I say to him? How should I approach that? Should I call him out in front of the team? I mean, I think we, we could do 45 minutes on this. I, I, I'll give you my quick answer. I think that the number one lesson I learned, and hopefully I communicated this to you when at that year at Elite 11, is you got to be you. I think I see more quarterbacks mess up because they try to be somebody they're not. Um, we all have our own personalities. We all have different leadership um, um, qualities we all have different methods of communicating we you know different 
relational strengths and weaknesses. Um, so you want to lead your team and um, engage your team and communicate with a team that is true to yourself. You don't want to try to be somebody you're not. So Tom Brady chews ass, but he's chewed ass since he was 16 years old. So that's who he is. Dan Marino was the same way. Peyton Manning was the same way. Aaron Rodgers, a little more cynical, a little more behind the scenes, a little more quiet, sends his messaging a different way. You know, John Elway was different. You know, you go on and on and go on and on and all the different – Warren Moon was different than Elway. I mean, everybody has their own little flavor on how they lead. But Philip Rivers is a great example. He's kind of ornery and fiery. He's always been that way. So he acts within who he is. I think, first of all, you need to be you. Um, That that would be the number one piece of advice. The second thing is um, I think one of the biggest things that tears teams apart – is unrealistic expectations. And many of those expectations come because of, quote-unquote, goal setting. And I'm not here to crush goal setting. There is a lot of good that comes with goal setting. But when goal setting becomes the mantra, when everybody's expectation is built around these lofty goals that you set, well, then you're always becoming result-driven. And when you're result-driven, a lot of times you lose focus on the details, on the journey, on the process. I encourage kids, and I've seen a lot of success, and it it was successful for me when you controlled the things you could control, when you messaged things that were controllable, when you focused on the moment that you're in, the day that you're in, and then let the rest take care of itself. So when that teammate who's comfortable being one minute early to workouts and not maybe taking care of his body the best he can within your own communication style, just communicate with him. Hey, today is a great opportunity for us to get better. I mean, how cool is this that we're, we're on scholarship to be at one of the greatest institutes in the country to do stuff. We love to be around guys. We love being around and we all are buying into trying to get better today. And when you're showing up a minute early, everybody else is saying, well, wait a second. I'm getting better. I'm coming, coming 10 minutes earlier. I'm accountable to my teammates, and yet you're not. So what message are you sending the rest of us? To me, maybe you're sending the message that you don't really care as much about our journey as you say you do. So why don't you put your actions where your words are and be committed to this process as a team? And if we all are focused on each day, each moment, getting better, trusting one another, buying in, being accountable to one another – loving one another through this process, then just maybe we will reach some lofty goals. But the downside of that, like the worst thing that can happen is you don't reach your goals, but you guys have an incredible ride doing so. You're going to have friends the rest of your life. These guys are going to have your back the rest of your life. And you're really playing. This is the most fun you will ever have playing football. I don't care how many Pro Bowls you go to, how many Super Bowls you win, how much money you make. It'll never be better than what you're doing right now. And I think every single NFL player would tell you the same thing. So if you can get the rest of your guys to buy into that, now the process really becomes the victory. And when they start understanding that, that the journey and the process and the Tuesday early morning wait session and the Thursday whatever it is that's hard becomes what's most enjoyable, now you got the secret sauce. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, You know, I think – whenever we're talking about, um, you know, motivating people, um, for me, it's really easy to just use USC. Um, just the fact that we're here, um, we have the opportunities that we do. 
and uh, just to be able to meet the classroom and not know if their dad is a CEO of a certain company. I think that's, that's just amazing in itself. And I think that's enough motivation for anyone to, you know, work hard. So I love that answer. Well, Trent, I'm not gonna let you go with asking uh, one more. Um, and Sam okay. didn't ask this, but I'm going to ask it for you. Um, attention at the quarterback position is at an all time high. And I think you and Sam have similar personalities in terms of you guys are mellow dudes. You know, you're not looking to post a selfie of, of yourself. You know, you didn't have that capability, you know, 15, 30 years ago when you were at Fresno State. But uh, on a serious note, how did you deal with attention as it ramped up? Whether you look at when you left as a junior and were drafted in the top 10 or when you led a team to a Super Bowl or when you got released after winning a Super Bowl, like how have you dealt with attention? Because that's happening in this building we're in right now. And if you win games, it's only going to keep growing. And Trent, you've already been there. So curious if you can offer and glean a little expertise. Well, it's evolved. Um, I did not do it well early. I hope that I did it better as I matured and uh, gained perspective. Um, even when I did it poorly, my parents did teach me something. You know, really, my, my, my stepdad was a football coach. I grew up around football. I've told this story. I was cutting 16-millimeter film up when I was 10, put it on the washer and dryer. So I grew up in the kind of this football culture and they were always very quick to, to remind me that quarterback is the most dependent position in sports, that you're always going to get more credit than you deserve and, and more blame than you deserve. And when you get the credit, you better deflect the credit where it belongs. Um, so I, I think with attention success, Sam, and you're going to have tons of it. I mean, it's a, it really is a no brainer. You're, you're a unique player. I told you that this summer as a counselor, I really can't, I think Andrew Luck was the first guy I saw that was kind of a transformational type prospect. You're the next guy sent. Um, but I think you can handle that type of stuff because I think you understand the burden that comes with it. Um, and along with that, I think attention and Yogi's question, just understand that. Yes. A lot of it is a God is your God gift is given ability. A lot of it is your pedigree and the Nate, the, the nurturing that your family and your high school program has given you. Um, a, but a ton of it is the people around you. A ton of it is people that have coached you at USC. A ton of it is the talent around you. A ton of it is everybody but you. So as you start experiencing these wild successes, make sure you give them the credit they deserve. And I, what I see too much of these days is the look at me with young quarterbacks. Say, look, look what I just did. Well, wait a second, pal. No, I, I'm watching the film, and that was a pretty cool play you made. But I saw 10 other guys do some really cool stuff on that play too. And you could have used that as an opportunity to celebrate them instead of celebrating yourself. The more you celebrate the people around you, Sam, and the people that have helped you on your journey, the more everybody else will want to celebrate you. You'll never have to do it. And handling attention and fame and money and all these different opportunities that will come, come up come a lot easier because your perspective will be other-centered, not you-centered. Awesome. I love it. Cool. Well, Trent, uh, episode one, guest one on the <laughs> Season of Sam podcast. Sam was money. I want a word count on this and see if any other uh, guest speaks as much as I did because I felt like <laughs> I was out of the mouth. Uh, you killed it, man. We appreciate you. Lots of love, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Trent. All right, love you guys. Have a good one. Bye.
So for Trent, we thank you for coming on. Sam, it was awesome to have the conversation. And a special thanks to everyone who makes this podcast even possible. Our producer and assistant SID, Katie Ryan. The editor, engineer, and director of video production, Rich Rodriguez. Sports Information Director, Tim Tessalone. Senior Associate SID, Paul Goldberg. And Director of Social Media, Jordan Moore. Offer all of the unique tools that make this thing an actual reality. Now make sure that you subscribe, rate, review, give us feedback by going to at Apple Podcasts on social media. Also, this is where you can download the podcast at Apple Podcasts. And all your feedback, hit us up on Twitter at USC underscore athletics. I'm your host, Yogi Roth. We'll talk to you soon.